0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org, where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Colleen. I'm Colleen, I'm a compulsive overreader. Hi, Colleen. I'll go ahead and pass around my pictures, um, and thank you, Martha, very much for asking me to speak, and congratulations to, um, to the chip takers, and happy birthday, that's so awesome. Um, to qualify, I've been abstinent, let's uh, see, August 4th of this year was 10 years, and um, my top weight that I know of when I came in these rooms was 307 pounds. I've been maintaining about 160 pound weight loss for um, almost that same amount of time, um, and and I'm really just um, I'm really just very humbled and honored and grateful to this program because it saved my life. Um, I. Um, <clears throat> I, I always carry these visuals with me, along with my pictures. Those of you who heard me speak before, um, these are my size 24 jeans that, um, when I first came in, I wouldn't wear because they were too tight. But I wouldn't go out and buy a size 26 because I was in denial that I was a 26. Um, and the miracle of this program is that I can fit two legs into one today. And um, you know, the sponsor that I had for many, many years to basically save my butt, um, amongst other things. <laughs> Um, told me to keep it, she said, because if you're ever too tired to work your program, they're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the reality, you know. Like, I, each day that I am granted a new day, um, I get a choice. Um, and that choice is either to continue on the path of recovery, um, which is often uncertain, and, um, you know, comes with things that I can't envision, Um, which can be good and not so good, Um, or I can go down the path that I know really, really well, which leads to death and destruction at a very slow pace, um, at a point which I probably would not perhaps notice until I was too far into it. Um, And that's really how um, I lived my life at over 300 pounds. You know, um, I literally waddled around um, and just kind of like was blotting my way through. And, you know, when I think about, you know, what it was like, there's a lot of it that I I have only come to know since being in recovery because it's become a process of waking up and being aware. See, because I'm an addict with food. I'm a main addict with food. So I was pretty drugged out. You know, there was no, like... I'm aware that, like, I'm eating too much, and it hurts, and, like, I was just, like, out, checked out, you know, and um, I had learned to check out at a pretty early age. Um, I don't remember my first binge, per se. I remember liking uh, the jimmies at the Carvel which is an ice cream place back east, um, (laughs) some of you know what I'm talking about, um, you know, they'd roll the the ice cream in the jimmies, and I remember when I'd lick it, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, sugar, (laughs) sugar was my main thing, um, and when I had enough of that, then it would lead into other things, but that's sort of my, my mainline drug, and, um, you know, it's a miracle when I think about that for, for 10 years, I haven't had any recreational sugar, um, it's absolutely amazing to me because I couldn't get through a moment, let alone a day, you know. Um, I didn't have a lot of history of dieting because there really was just no point. Um, I didn't even, like, have a sense of, like, what it would be to be in a healthy body weight. And the fact that I've been living in a healthy body weight for probably, like, eight years or something now is just a miracle to me. And I'd probably say only in the last couple of years have I actually gotten that, like, this is who I am now. You know, it took me many years of, like... Looking at myself in the mirror, going, "Wait, who is that? you know um, because when you're over three hundred pounds and you're overweight your whole life, and to not be that way is just kind of a weird you know it took a while for my brain to kind of catch up with the rest of me, and you know of course when i when I first came in, um, you know they said that the, you know they say that the only requirement is a desire to stop eating compulsively, I don't know that I had that desire to be quite honest with you. Um, because I didn't know that eating was a problem. Like, this is how out of it I was. Like, I didn't connect the dots. All I knew when I came in, um, you know, over ten years ago, was that I was really uncomfortable in my body. Um, Because my body had gotten to a size where I could no longer really ignore it, you know, because, like, I'd had too many incidents where I'd gone into the restaurant and I wanted to go sit in the booth and I didn't fit. And the you know the hostess did that sort of embarrassing thing. She's like, "Well, we could sit at the table," and I was mortified, you know, and. I had stopped paying attention a long time before that to people's snarks and strange looks and um, perhaps comments under their breath about how much space I was taking up. Um, I never quite understood why it was that I was always so exhausted all the time. Well, when you're carrying 300 pounds around, it's exhausting. (laughs) Like, I used to think that I didn't like doing errands because it was just a pain. Well, the errands are kind of a pain anyways. But what I realized is that, like, when you're over 300 pounds, you're getting in that, the car, and in and out of the car, and in and out of the car, I'm worn out, I'm just worn out, you know, and what's amazing today is that, like, I get in and out of the car all the time, and it's like, it's not a big deal, Um, I get on the elliptical machine for 45 minutes, and I get off, and I'm like, holy cow, how did that just happen, you know, not only how did that happen, but like, that felt really good, I want to do that again, huh, You know, like, who is this? Like, I literally sometimes, I'm like, pinch me. Like, I'm living this life that I never thought imaginable. And it's not the one that I planned on either. (laughs) I had this whole other plan. But, you know, that coming from a woman who thought that at the end of the week, um, you know, half a pizza and a batch of cookie dough was a really good idea. Like, that was my way of getting through it. I used to be a school teacher, and so I would... You know, I was such a good teacher that I would go in to work on the weekends. Um, yes, because I got to stop at the A.M.P.M. and pick up all my stuff. And I'd get into my classroom where nobody would bother me because nobody was there. And I'd eat, and I would correct some great papers. And then, oddly enough, I would feel the sense of anxiousness as the food ran out. And then I would go home, and then I'd call the Pizza Hut guy, you know, and then do the rest of the deal, and then I'd pass out on the couch. And, and that was what I thought you know, life was, like, this is what I thought, okay, all the while feeling kind of disconnected and not really clear on, like, why life wasn't really getting any better, you know, and I just kind of had resigned myself that it wasn't going to get any better, that, you know, this is as good as it gets, and and I remember, actually, when I was about 20 years old, I was in my late 20s when I came in, so this was years before I came into program, and I, I remember that feeling of, like, well, this just sucks, like, I just, you know, like, that's it, this is it, you know, like, this is what I was looking forward to, like, when I got older, I was going to be on my own, and and this is it, you know, it sucks, you know, and, well, yeah, it sucks, because when you're trying to annihilate yourself, albeit very slowly, it, it sucks, you know? And, you know, what my life looked like, my plan was that, you know, I wanted to connect with you, but not really. Like, I wanted you to love me and admire me, but I wanted to keep you, like, at an arm's length. And because you could potentially hurt me. And, you know, that doesn't quite work, like, that whole thing about being open. And um, I wasn't willing to risk that. Um, and and I had friendships, um, and I think I had one or two, um, sort of relationships in there somewhere. Um, but I don't know that I ever really let anybody in because how do you let somebody in to say, by the way, I think I'm a piece of shit and I don't deserve to be here and I think everything's my fault and I'm just hoping it'll end really soon. I remember once when I was in college, um, I was in sort of a position where I was, um, helping out um with this uh, church organization that I was very involved with and uh, there was a kid who had come into town who he was eighteen and um he was on his second round of leukemia and he had come into town with his parents um because this was like a last ditch effort. The university I was associated with had a cancer center. And um the pastor that I worked with asked me, you know, would you go and visit with the family and spend time and I remember this kid. <laughs> He was so full of life. Oh, my God. He had, like, all these plans, things he was going to do. And, you know, he was, like, even though, like, he knew, like, this was possibly, like, his last shot at anything. And and even his parents, you know, like, his mother cried a lot whenever I talked to her, which I not talk to her too much. <laughs> and and we would go in and we would pray with them. And, and I remember the day that he died. And I remember I just said, God, why couldn't you have just taken me instead? Because... Like, what the heck do I do now? Like, you know, here was somebody who, like, wanted to live. I don't even want to live. Like, I'm just kind of hoping it'll go away. And, um, that's how dead I was. I mean, that was, that was ten years before I came into these rooms, eight years before I came into these rooms. So I had a lot more of, like, killing myself left to do. you think I would have done. No, not yet, you know? And, and I had a lot of arguments with God. I, I had, I always had a very active relationship with God, and I had no problem screaming and yelling at God. I would always apologize afterwards. I find that most <laughs> helpful <laughs> um, for keeping that line open. But, you know, I was really pissed off because things, you know, everything was a mess. And I was like, this sucks, and I don't know, you know, I don't know where you are. I really, I just don't know where you are. And what I realized when I came into these rooms is I, I looked at the steps on the wall and I remember like I was like, hmm God's in like every single one of those suckers. What do you know? You know? And um I had I remember um years before when I was at a really low place in my life, um, where I had gone to be of service. I was working as an inner city school teacher, um for a faith-paced organization, because I felt like this was what God wanted me to do, and I felt like I'd completely been dropped out of an airplane, and been like, good luck, you know, and everything that could go wrong did go wrong, I couldn't get along with my roommates, I had the worst class in history, I mean, like, this teacher who had taught them for 24 years, had taught for 24 years the year before, quit because of this class, right, this is how, like, it was terrible, and I was thousands of miles away from anything I knew, and... I was like, where is God? Where is God? Like, this is why I brought you here. And, and I, I remember this notion of that God doesn't turn his back on us. God doesn't abandon us. And I was like, well, then you tell me where you are, because I must be doing something that I'm not aware of, that I'm pushing you away, cause I, but I don't know what that is, so you need to show me. And and probably, it was probably about four years later when I came into these rooms and I saw God in those steps and I, I walked into the meeting in Derby and I was like, oh my God. Literally, like, whoa, okay. And what I got was, there was no room for God when food was my God. Like, I was so busy stuffing my face that, like, there was no, like, room for God. And, you know... I'd like to say that, like, in ten years of recovery, that when I eat, I'm not a little out of it. But that's not true. Like, when I'm eating, like, that's really all I can focus on. Like, it's terrible sometimes. Like, I don't like to have lunch with coworkers because I'm, like, I'm, I'm focusing on my food. Like, I'm, you know, you're really nice and everything, but, like, this is my, my portion, you know. Like, I need to remember this because if I don't remember this, I'm going to be, like, I need more when we're done, you know. um, But – I know clearly, like, when I'm putting something in my mouth, like, there's there's a little bit of a disconnect there sometimes between me and God, except in the moments when I remember where it comes from, you know. And, um, you know, but I don't... Today, by the grace of God, eat my alcoholic foods, I don't eat in between meals, and I don't eat in a way that destroys myself, and that is amazing to me. That is absolutely amazing. Like, every single day that I'm abstinent is, like, a spiritual experience on some level because it is not my doing, you know? My doing is the part where I suit up and I show up, which is what I've learned how to do in this program. You know, my part is um, doing things that I don't want to do. There's a, a woman in this program who I love. when She she said once in a meeting she spoke, she said, I sometimes measure my day by the number of things I do that I don't want to do. And I was like, that's really good. And, you know, when I do my 10-step at the end of the night, that's sometimes how I measure my day. You know, where is my level of recovery? How many things did I do that I didn't want to do? You know, they, they talk about in the AA 12 and 12 that, you know, this is the... The step that differentiates the men from the boys, and they talk about because you're working towards a God objective instead of your own objective, and and what I've learned is that this program is about growing up, you know, that I can I can do a little temper tantrum, a little I don't want to, you know blah blah blah, but, you know, that's being a kid. I'm not that kid anymore, you know, and. um and sometimes I, I have days when I have to constantly remind myself, like, Colleen, you're not there anymore, you know, and I have to look down at my feet and look at myself in the mirror and go, no, you're all grown up now. You need to act like it, you know. Um, and to do that, sometimes I need to call my fellows or get on the phone with my sponsor or do some writing or make phone calls or, um, you know, read the literature or get to a meeting, like whatever I need to do to bring me back to the present because I find that that's basically where life is happening and if i want to experience it which by the grace of god i do you know each day that i wake up i say thank you god for the gift of this new day and the opportunity to be of abstinence to be abstinent and of service and um and that's really how i i what i believe um that the only reason i'm alive today is because i have the opportunity to be abstinent and to be of service Now, that doesn't mean that I always like the opportunities that I'm given to be of service. (laughs) Um, But there are always growing opportunities, and there are always opportunities to open up my heart more. You know, one of the things that I realized um, that not only did the food keep me checked out, but it kept this nice sort of steel cage around my heart. And I know that in the first couple of years of my recovery that there was this sense of, like, the steel began to melt away. And, you know, what's amazing to me is I was so shut down when I came in here, I couldn't even cry. The only thing that w- that would get me to cry, really, was when we had to talk about eating less food. <laughs> 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 then I was like a ball. I can't do it! You know, like, and I literally was like, I think my sponsor just had so many laughs on my behalf. But, um... You know, like I watch little cheesy commercials, and I cry like and and I love that because I feel like it it's a sign to me that my heart is supple and it 's open, and it 's willing you know it's willing to take a chance um, it's willing to believe that maybe things are going to be okay, and that maybe things are okay, you know because see. I used to think that when something went wrong that um, that I was wrong and that it was my fault, and that I was a mistake, and um, I really need to fix this and The reality is that uh, most things i can 't fix the only thing I can fix is is what I did, you know, or um, to ask for my thinking to be changed, and it really really just pretty much levels down to to my thinking. Um, and my thinking will dictate my feelings, and then from that, oftentimes, um, you know, actions will come from that. And and what I've found is that what abstinence has given me is it's given me that pause between thinking and feeling and acting. Um, and in that pause, I have that opportunity to ask God for help, to turn to my fellows, to um seek out something other than what's in between my ears (laughs) for a solution and that's what i need to do because you know no matter how brilliant i may think i am at the moment (laughs) or how much i know um there i i just couldn't possibly know it's just not i'm just not possible you know, and so I need to link with something greater than me that I think has a better understanding of what's happening on a larger level because I believe that I'm not here just for me. I believe that I'm here to play a role and um, I need to connect with the director. I need to connect with the producer and um, sometimes when when I remember that, Um, that producer and that director is just there to remind me, like, Colleen, you're doing fine. It's okay. You know, I know this isn't quite what you thought it would be because, you know, in absence, there's been a lot of life. You know, there's been relationships. There's been breakups. There's um, been um, connecting with my family and not connecting with my family. Um, And, you know, what's amazing to me is next weekend, um, my father's going to be 80 years old this year. And um, so they're having, like, a party family reunion. I say party like that because my father's not a party type, so this is my mother's idea. Um, but that's okay. They've been married for 40 years. I'm sure he's, he was expecting it. So um, the fact that I'm going back home for that um, and that I can show up and um, and be thankful for him is... So much from America, I can't even tell you. Like, I don't have the time to go into all the details, but, um, there's a lot of shit that's happened with my father that should never have happened. And, you know, by all accounts of what's supposed to happen, what's not supposed to happen. And what i realized is that it's created an opportunity for me to learn what it really means to love and to forgive. What it really means. Um you know, when it's not pretty and when it's not all tied up in a nice pink bow. <laughs> and and to be able to coexist in that place of duality where, like, things that are messy and things that are beautiful exist in that very same moment. And, you know, somebody who doesn't like uncertainty and someone who doesn't like, you know, the, the not black and white, <laughs> it's amazing. Like, I was always looking for it's either this or it's this. And most things are somewhere in the gray, you know. And and I, I don't really like gray. It's really not as attractive. Black is much more stunning. White is pure. You know, it's uh-huh. like, what is this gray? But you know what? Gray is a mixture of lots of really cool colors, really beautiful colors. And when I don't look at it as the gray and I take a step back, and that means I have to take a breath and take a step back, and I see the reds and the blues and the purples and the pinks, and the greens, and I see the absolute stunning beauty, and I see that in you, and I see that in me, and I see that in the circumstances when I get rear-ended, and when my you know coworker it, you know pisses me off, and and the the person on the trainer like in class can't get it, and I've got to be that much more patient, you know. Um, I would like her to be black, you know, so I can go white and go the other direction. But, no, she's red, you know. And probably sounds like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, but because um, I really have no idea what I'm saying at this point. Um, all I can tell you is that somehow, <laughs> by not eating my alcoholic foods, by showing up, by, by connecting with my higher power through my prayer and meditation, which I do every day, even when I don't feel like I'm doing it, even when I fall asleep when I do it, even when it's not, you know, all nice and tidy, um... You know, when I do my step work, when I call my sponsor, when I connect with my sponsees, when I do all these things that I've learned how to do, when I live those 12 steps as though my life depends upon it, because it does. You know, I'm in this program for the rest of my life, and right now that's just this moment, so I can do that. You know, but I, you know, it's like I was wandering around looking for some sense of direction, and what do you know there's 12 of them? And every time I forget one, all I have to do is open up the book or call a fellow. And they go, yeah, that's like in the third step when you turn your will. And I'm like, I don't want to turn my will. Okay. My sponsor would be like, just notice that. And how's that working for you? And I'm like, oh, thank you. And, um, you know, it's like pretty much as far as I can tell, all the answers are in the big book. You know, it, it says that, you know precisely how we have recovered. So it tells me that this book, you know, this big book, um, which a bunch of drunks put together, um, it is, like, my design for living. You know, and it says, it says, it tells me there, it says this is, you know, living in, in rough going or something like that. I apologize, I'm not quoting it exactly, but, like, it doesn't say, you know, living when everything's good <laughs> or living when everything makes sense, you know, and... um I'm the person who ate over, like, a broken nail. So, like, the fact that, like, I can sit in and moments when I am in conflict with someone and I don't know yet when it's going to get resolved and not eat over it is amazing to me. You know, that my food doesn't change based on how I feel. Because, honestly, if I'm standing in front of the frigi- refrigerator and saying, what do I feel like eating, I am in so much trouble because I'm having feelings... You know, because I can feel hungry after finishing eating. You know, like that just that whole mechanism in me. I don't know if it's because I'm a hundred pounder, but like that gauge thing is broken. It is broken. So you know, I go by like is it breakfast? Is it lunch? Is it dinner? Or is it time for a snack? Like that's it. You know, and if it's not, then I'm I'm no business eating, and I need to find something else to do. And you know, I pick up the phone and make outreach calls, and and I say, how are you doing? Like talk to me because I'm using that in my head. You know. And um, somehow doing all those things creates an incredible life in which um, I'm at peace with myself and I don't look in the mirror and go, ugh, you know, in the morning. Because I used to do that. Like, I would never say, you're such a, you know, and use curse words, but I would just be like, ugh, you know, and the first thing when I saw myself in the mirror in the morning. And I don't do that today, you know. And, um, And it doesn't mean that, like, I love myself all the time or anything like that, or that I love you all the time. But I'm willing to believe that within you, there's a kernel of something that connects me to you. And so even if I can't see it, um, I know there's a way that I can begin to see it if I'm willing to. And, you know, in the OA 12 and 12, in Step 8, it talks about... um, being willing to do things you don't want to do, and I love that. I love that because that so much measures my recovery. it's like, I, you know, I don't have to want to do it. My sponsor used to say to me all the time, "It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what you do. This is a program of action. And, you know, and we can't think our way into right action, but we can act our way into right thinking. And so, that's what I have to do is I have to get into action. Um, because if I spend, again, too much time in between my ears, um, I'll start thinking that pizza and cookie dough are a really good option, you know, and one of the things that, um, that I just, I, you know, congratulations, by the way, to the chip takers and birthday people, I think I said that already, so I can tell already I'm so not clear with what I'm saying, but, um, you know, I, I'm just eternally grateful for this program, um, And um, for the life that I get to live today. And um, I can say that even though I really have no freaking clue what's going to happen, I'm okay. And um, there is a a kernel, maybe a few kernels, of hope of, like, every time it's always turned out much better than I thought it would be. Um, And so that gives me an opportunity to hope, and that's what this program offers. And so if you're struggling or you're not sure... Um, just stick around because the hope is here. So thank you for letting me share. So I guess there's time for questions. Yes. Sure. You asked me to talk about my conception of a higher power. Um, Well, I came into this program with a a conception of a higher power, which has expanded tremendously. Um, For me, it shows up in different ways. Um, One is is like a a person – and uh the other is I see it a lot in nature um in flowers and trees and bugs, and um you know like in when I'm in my car and I'm frustrated, and like one of my favorite songs comes on the radio there's somebody pulls up in front of me and cuts me off and they have this really cool bumper sticker you know like <laughs> like it's I find that it's like I see God in everything, so what I've learned is that um I can no more um confine God to what I think God might be because God's always looking to surprise me mm-hmm. with how God's gonna show up. And so I just have to be awake. Um I I only um share my program with with people outside of program if if they seem to be somebody who's asking lots of questions. If I did I've had people ask me about this and um I I don't remember what I said. I didn't say it was OA. I just said something like, oh, it's just a little reminder for me. This I got at my morning meeting. They give 10-minute chips, and they say if you want to recommit your program. And I just, um, because I'm going to see my family. Um, I did it when I went back to see my family for my parents' anniversary. I had it around my watch, and it was helpful to me. So um, if people begin to ask questions, I kind of, you know, don't know be more open but I don't like walk around like because I remember being over 300 pounds some skinny chick came up to me and started talking about how she lost weight I'd be like get out of my way <laughs> like 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 you know anything about you know so um, yeah it's usually if it's somebody who comes to me in confidence or something like that yeah Thanks. yes sure um, fr- promises that have been significant for me um, a big one about financial insecurity um, I've experienced a lot of freedom around that um Uh, Because I pretty much lived in fear around money a lot of the time, and what do you know? It's it's called being accountable with numbers. (laughs) I didn't like the ones on the scale. I didn't like the ones in my checkbook. Um, That's a big one. Um, You know, they. I'm trying to rack my brain. Remember all the promises. Um, I would say um, definitely. You know, like being able to handle situations which used to baffle me a lot of those, like, I mean, I can't think of anything specific at the moment, but that usually entails, like, conversations, or um, how to interact with people, um, or my family, you know, or um, how to stand in my own truth about things, because um, I spent a lot of my time trying to shapeshift to be what I thought you wanted me to be, and to be able to say to somebody, you know, I'm, thank you, but that doesn't work for me, like, that's a huge miracle, Lots of prayer. Uh, That resentment prayer, really good. Oh, sorry, she asked me how do I reconcile the duality with my father. The duality of my father. Um, That, lots of prayer, lots of writing. Um, I've definitely sought outside help about that. Um, Worked with my sponsors. Um, Lots of prayer. um, And recognizing, um, what I've found is it sort of correlates that my level of Openness to forgiveness with him directly affects my forgiveness of myself and, um, and those around me. So um, there, there isn't a specific formula. It's really just knowing that what I want more than anything is to be at peace um, with myself and with those about me. Um, and having boundaries. You know, there was a time when we didn't speak. There was a time when um, I didn't have anything to do with him. There, I allowed myself the time to be really, really angry, um, and that was important. Um, But I knew on some of it wouldn't always be that way, Um, and just trusting that the process. Um, Usually, uh, sorry, um, like eating alone at work. I actually do eat with my coworkers. I just feel like I don't say much because I'm busy eating. Um, <laughs> um, it's really just um, being willing to be a little uncomfortable sometimes. Um, and be more like, it's it's an opportunity to connect with people, because that's what people do, like, they connect around food, and I'm like, listen, I'm an addict of food, like, I'm not, like, we throw potlucks at work all the time, they love to eat, I'm like, really? And I bring my own food, and I eat my own thing, and they're so used to it now, they don't even care, they're like, yeah, yeah, we know you're bringing your own stuff, you know, and, like, um, I I guess, for me, the big thing is not to feel shame about it, just to get that I'm not normal around food, I'm never going to be normal around food, tells me that in Chapter 3, you know, um, it doesn't matter how long I'm in recovery, I will never be normal around food. and um, as long as I'm at peace with it, like what other people think really doesn't doesn't matter. so all right, thank you very much. <laughs>